Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 440. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Jason Troy. Jason is an executive coach from Jason Troy Executive Coaching. Well, just welcome, Jason. I'm so happy to have you here. Well, thanks. It's exciting to be here and speaking with your fantastic tribe. Thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, Jason worked in tech marketing for 15 plus years and he got to, he has worked. I don't know that you're not working with some of them still today or even just, well, I'm going to bring up the deli, you know, since I brought that up before, but he got to work with Mark Cuban, Steve Jobs, Reed Hastings at Netflix and many others. How exciting, but I want you to share with us how you, how you got started on this journey and how you got to where you are today and actually what you do. See, I told you I stack questions. Sure. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background and then I'll go into what what I do. I started out, I think everyone's journey is very loopy, up and down, all over the place. And it probably, if it's not, you're not going to enough uncertainty. So that's probably, if you you know you're not in the right place if you don't have a lot of hills and valleys, because if you get outside your comfort zone, you're going to be doing new things, which will require you to make a lot of mistakes and to pivot consistently. So my journey was I went to law school and got my master's in communications at Syracuse University. I was thinking about doing crisis management, so I wanted to go to the number one communication school. Because that's the thing that you need to lead with the most that can be the most difficult is thinking, how do you communicate and engage with people externally? And as I was interviewing for my second year in law school in New York City for jobs, I was super prepared. I talked to a lot of the third year law students. And, you know, they all told me at the end to ask an easy question to leave the interview. And that was the only question I did not ask them details on what to say or how to phrase it. And obviously now I know that it's very naive. But back then, you know, I asked people the question, are you happy? And that was a really challenging question for people to ask. And when you get done with 30 some interviews and it's the longest question that you ask them before they answer and there's a long pause, it makes you start to question you know, your past. If people have that much difficulty answering the questions that are that smart and intelligent and thoughtful people and have spent that much time, you know, progressing in their career. And so I decided that that probably wasn't something that I wanted to do after further research beyond that. And the other thing I enjoyed was technology and just problem solving and looking at complex situations and issues. So I went out to Silicon Valley during the gold rush. And that's when I got to work with a lot of great people because, I mean, there just was, everyone was going out to Silicon Valley to be a part of 
the tech boom and eventual bust. But it was an opportunity to work with some, you know, fantastic people, crazy situations, you know, ups and downs. And it was, you know, really enlightening to see all the positive things that happened, all the challenges that occurred. And then, you know, eventually I got, I moved to Dallas to be closer to my mom who moved down from Chicago. I worked at HP for a few years and that was interesting because I was commuting to Palo Alto quite frequently in California. And then, you know, I started to dabble on the side. I thought, you know, there's, I, I wanted to potentially start a business, but I wanted to do it as a side hustle because I needed to sort of prove out the model. And I just took something pretty small, which was how to build a great social life in 30 days or less. And I know I wanted to morph that into something business. And I knew the key was relationships and how you created them, right, at the smallest level. And that was something that I had perfected. I found someone in a business. You know, we started selling products, solutions. I essentially wrote a book and had the person put their name on it. And I had a business falling out with a partnership. And then I had another job in corporate America that I wasn't really excited about and thought I needed to jump in. And so I started to do this. And what I do now is I work with executives, managers, and their teams and entrepreneurs on leadership and performance issues and really help them maximize it by taking a look at their internal blind spots first. You take a look at it like a doctor doing root cause analysis and then a little bit of mini therapy to look at the patterns in your life that are holding you back because most people biggest challenges are not skill sets they don't have. They are patterns that are sabotaging their own success and the success of people around them. And the other part of it is just working with teams and organizations to help them figure out better process to manage others, the right questions to ask how to do some organizational structures and operationalize a lot of the performance management and leadership that they don't have or that they're doing poorly. I feel like we were crisscrossing paths, maybe not at the same time, but I mean, I, I can just see like airplanes going back and forth across the states. Like you said Syracuse, right? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Rochester. Okay. Um, I know you said your mom was in Chicago, but I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, worked in yep. Manhattan and Connecticut, moved out to Ohio. I, I've never moved to California. That's the one place I've never moved. I've been there a few times for business, but been to Texas a few times. So maybe not as as much as I initially let off with. But I'm thinking about how you just said you know, looking at the blind spots within companies, what are some of those blind spots that you see most common? Well, here's eventually what happens to every person listening to this. Your skills and abilities will hit a ceiling. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is that you will plateau and then you will fall off the side of the cliff and hit rock bottom. And it's eventuality and it will hap it happens to every single person. No one is immune to this. And so if you don't get out in front of it, you will be in that place. And what will happen is, is that you'll climb back up the hill and you'll hit the same ceiling and you'll go back down again. And that's how most people live their lives. 
because what happens is these blind spots are patterns that start typically early in life or there's some trauma or emotional situation that really constricts people. That is their biggest challenge that they have, that if they solved it, they would get exponential gains overnight. Rather than incremental, which is you know smaller gains, we're talking about people who can get 25, 50, 100% productivity, leadership gains, like you know double their salary, triple overnight, right? I mean, we're talking massive level things. And an example of this would be, like I'll have clients that will have a listening issue, right? Like let's that's it's an easy one, right? And I had a CEO I was working with. You could think about this at any level manager, right? This is just an example. And he knew his team wasn't performing as well as they could be, didn't know why. I went in, talked to his team for like five minutes apiece, because I don't really get dig that far in initially. I just want to get what their gut reactions are and what they believe to be wrong and see if there are any patterns or similarities in their answers individually. And they all basically said, he's not listening, he's not engaging, he's not hearing me, blah, 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 right? And okay, that's good data point. Well, the problem is when you go to someone and you confront them with that information, what happens is our brains are wired for negativity and they're wired for survival. Mm -hmm. So they will immediately reject the idea. It will offload the blame and say things like, those people just don't get it. They're not engaged. They're not committed. They're not working hard enough. There'll be 50,000 things that they could possibly say, except they will never take 100% accountability for it. Right. I, I guess there may be someone out there that will do that, but I haven't run into them. And the only way that they would do that is if they had significant sort of therapy, self-development work, um, had confronted these issues before, but that is an extremely low level of the population, right? Because if you look at the research, only 10 to 15% are self-aware and highly self-aware people are in low single digits. But yeah. the problem is 95% of people think they're self-aware, right? right? So here's the problem. So if you go to someone like that, right? So they would say all these excuses. They finally probably take some accountability and they would start to do some work on it that I gave them. But in the back of their head, they'd be saying, I'm going to get those people, right? When it's, it's my time, I'm going to find a way because no one's going to tell me I'm broken. And that's what you're telling someone is they are broken. And people do not accept that. They will not unconsciously do that. So you will get some benefit, but not really that much. And that's a problem, right? Because you can't make big leaps with that sort of policy, that, that system, that process. So what I do instead of asking a question like that is I will start to ask people what you would do in some sort of like lightning fast therapy session, right? So I ask them, tell them about your childhood, tell them about growing up. And then, you know, I'll ask experience, questions like, so how did you get mom and dad's attention? Right. How did you get their love? How did you get their, you know, emotional support? And, you know, in this example, I was like, he said to me, well, you know, one time when I was in grade school, uh, I needed my parents to come to something and he's in a family of six. So it was hard for him to get anyone to listen to him. So he elbowed his brother and sister at the table really hard and then yelled. And mom and dad heard and then went to the school event. So what did he learn? 
not listening got me what I wanted. Right. 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 And, and that was his words and how he phrased it back to me. And then I asked a couple other questions about that sort of thinking. And then I presented to him and I said, you realize that you have been doing this pattern your whole life of not listening because that's the payoff you get. Right. And it's neither good nor bad. It just is a pattern, just like a piece of computer data is. And so now the choice is you can either can, you can be right and follow that pattern or you can be happy, successful, fulfilled. Right. And you have a choice and that likely that pattern is costing you 10 to 20 percent of your bottom line, which he agreed it was, and he was going to lose people on his executive team, right? So that cost was going to be extremely high, and it really already was. So at that point, he's very amenable because he's not broken. He realizes it's just a pattern, and he can change it. And so I gave him things on a post-it note to do, such as listen before you speak, ask people much, many more questions, get to know them more on a deep personal level. And then there were just some other small changes to do. And I said, do this for 30 days, carry around this post-it note, whatever's on here, do. Whatever is not, don't do. And let's see what happens, right? And then in the 30 days, it's like all gone, right? I mean, everything's significantly better. People around him notice it. And performance is up, engagement is up, everything is through the roof, right? And and the problem is, is that the other way that most human resources solve this problem and companies solve this problem is a skill development. So what they would have done is gone in and sat him down in a listening class or given him listening exercises to do. But he would have never done that because he would have felt like he was broken. But in my situation, he didn't because he realized it was just a pattern that he had been doing and it was an unconscious pattern he was unaware of and he didn't know the ramifications of what was going on. But now he can look historically and see his entire life he's just been doing it because he didn't know any better because that was just the environment he grew up in. You just opened my eyes to actually to shifts I've made in my own business in the last three years. And I'm going to just share with you to give you some context and with the listeners as well. And I was raised in a way that when money came in, the money went right back out. You know, there were the bills that needed to be paid, but there were also like, we want this. We're just going to spend the money and we'll figure it out tomorrow. Like it was a, oh, I better go back to work on Monday type of upbringing, right? So as I've gone into, as I've gone through my business and through my adulthood, I just got to be totally honest. Every time money has come in, I paid what needed to get paid for the most part, but I, it was like that money was burning a hole in my pocket. So there was never savings and that held me back. Like rather than investing it or saving it and, and by investing, I mean, it is something I truly did need in the business. I would always be looking to advance my skills. And like you said before, there's that ceiling that we reach. I mean, there's only so many programs I can get certified in and still be successful. But at some point, I need to grow the team if I'm actually going to grow. And if I keep on spending my money on learning more software and more certifications, then the money's not going to be there to grow the team. And I, I don't know what happened to be totally, 
well, I guess I do. I, I had a good coach who was like, why is your zero always zero? Like when is your zero going to be 500 or a thousand or $10,000? Yep. And I was just like, wow. Wow. I never realized that my zero could be above zero. Yeah. And that's typical. And I think that, that you have to identify the, and, and I've done this probably now 500 times at least. I mean, either with pay clients or just as I was starting to do this to see whether this would consistently work. I'll rarely find an instance where this is not the problem, right? I mean, there are some, but it is very uncommon. And some of it, I believe, when it's not, is the people really aren't being honest with me or aren't doing the soul searching um, to share all the information and being as open. So it, it doesn't, I can't do that if I don't have the information from them. But I would say to people listening to this, 99% of you, what's holding you back right now most in your life is a blind spot that is a pattern you've been doing your whole life. And if you don't find it, and if you don't eliminate it, you will live a very low existence. Mm -hmm. You could be living a significant, you could probably be living at least double what you're living now, if not five to 10 times. And you can probably all do that in less than 30 days. Wow. And solve it, eliminate it, and never have be a problem in your life ever again, right? Whatever it might be, personally or professionally. And, it's pro and, and it will cost you so much money at the end of this that it will be unfathomable, right? So the, this is the CEO question. We figured out that it probably has cost him in, in their own business somewhere between 200 to $300 million because of his inefficiency. Ouch. Yeah. At least. Well, right? I, can, I can see it with some of my clients. I mean, and it, in the one client I'm thinking about had poor communication skills and poor listening skills. And as a result, the staff was over, like, turning over every three or four months tops. Like, that's how long they could keep their staff on. And Yeah. But every time new staff came on, new training was necessary and it was like a month was lost. There's a reason why no growth is happening. It's because you would set yourself back down to ground zero every three yep. or four months. How are you going to get up anywhere if you don't have a good team to support you because you're not communicating and listening? Yeah. And it, and the average person, when someone leaves, that the cost is somewhere between 100 to 300% of their full-time salary. That's really where the estimates are. You can get down into 50% for some jobs, but that's still pretty significant amount of money that you're spending right, in productivity loss and in um, financial alone, right? And so, and these blind spots can be anything. It's not just, it. I don't want people to think this. It can be emotional issues. Mm -hmm. It can be really anything, right? I mean, there are thousands of things that it could manifest itself into in your real life, right? Your inability to resolve conflicts, your inability to connect with people emotionally, your inability to lead, your inability to manage other people, your inability to delegate, your inability to innovate, your inability to sell, market, 
I, it, it's, can be anything. It depends on what is your greatest pain and your biggest problems. And they're almost always connected with it. So if you don't get help from someone doing something, you won't be successful. And the other problem is you can't do it yourself because your brain is set up so you don't see these things. Because our brains from caveman days would do that because if we saw all the things that were going on in our life, we'd be so overwhelmed, we'd jump off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and our brain has not evolved as far as that part of it since then. And it, I mean, maybe will it someday? I don't know. But we're not going to be around to see that. Right. So it won't really matter. I'm working with a pretty incredible coaching team myself right now. And there's three coaches on the team and we each cover a different aspect. And one of the coaches I met with a month and a half ago and expressed my challenges that I was facing. And we had, we had assignments that I was supposed to do. Well, it was a crazy month. So when I went in, well, that was like two months ago when I went in a month ago, all the same issues were still there. And the coach said, this is the exact same conversation that we had last month. What did you do about it? And I said, nothing. I did nothing. She's like, well, well, are you going to change that? Yes. And this month I've changed it and I'm so excited to go in. But I realized, oh, oh my gosh, you know, had I not had the coach or coaches in this case, I would have been. What is it? Is it the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? Yes. I couldn't remember if it was chaos or insanity. So thank you. I mean, I guess same thing, right? I mean, that's what I had in my business was I'm listeners. I'm not giving myself any type of credit here. There's a lot more than chaos and insanity. But when you're going for growth, I mean, you can't keep on doing the same thing. You can't. And you've got to try. And the other part about it, too, is that you have to try a lot of different things simultaneously, and it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of effort to do anything, right? That's why I tell people who want to be entrepreneurs, it's the hardest time to be an entrepreneur that's ever been. It's going to take you longer to break through and see results than ever in history, right? And you are going to have to persevere and determine through way harder times than anyone else has, but when you break through, you'll really break through. But the problem is it'll be relentless for years and you have to love it. You have to want to do it. And if that's not what you want to do, then don't do it. And I feel like there are way too many people trying to be an entrepreneur now because they look like they think it's sexy and fun and they should go back to safety and security of a job because I think it's a huge mistake. I'm not going to argue that at all. There, There's definitely sexy but behind being an entrepreneur, but that's like, very rare. And to get to that point, I mean, you, you wind up exhausted on both the front end and the back end. I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, totally. Because it takes a lot of, I mean, I, I'm just thinking in my case, you know, it's when I go to events, but there's a lot of preparation before and there's a lot of recovery afterwards. You know, what's been going on in the business? What do I need to make up? How many people do I need to reach out to now? It's Here's the thing. It's never ending. I mean, and I don't, and, it, and the funny thing to say, like, Let's let's say that someone out there is listening to this conversation and they're thinking, you know, Jason, Kim, you both are crazy. That's not true. Well, let me tell you a great example of why this is true. So last year, 
I started to ask all my clients and every successful person I ran into a couple questions. And one of them I asked them was, how many people have ever asked you about your darkest day in business and trying to be an entrepreneur and the toll it took, what happened, and just looked at the details? And these are really successful people, right? These are people with $100 million businesses up to billions, right? So we're not talking about, so people they get a lot of people they have a lot of attention. They're running into people. They all said the same thing. It's either zero to maybe a couple. Right? Wow. So we're talking about 99.99999, you know, beyond that, never ask that question, right? Because everyone believes in some way that there it's a Facebook news feed post, it's an ESPN mm-hmm. highlight, or it's some form of that. They're not asking about the worst days when they literally probably wanted to jump from a cliff. And I bet that there were pe- there were people that were actually very close to f- really doing it, not just make up things, right? Like literally at that point. So like you have to, you have to ask those questions and seek to understand, not just look at what the potential could be. You've got to look at the downside too. Oh, absolutely. And I do know, I mean, I do realize the name of my podcast is Positive Productivity. If this is your first episode listening to any of the listeners, welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. But I do share my darkest moments on here because thank you, Jason, for bringing that up. That is just something that people don't hide or don't talk about. It's like, well, I'm not going to be seen as perfect. Well, newsflash, nobody's perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect yes and by sharing those stories of imperfectness we're building greater connections with the people around us completely and agree every time i like um when i when i'm not on the positive productivity podcast i do marketing automation and one of the things that i tell all my clients is you have to stop only sending out sell, sell, sell emails, like you need to connect with the people who actually subscribed and share, share more about you and not just the bright, you know, glittery stuff, like share your struggles. Well, Kim, what if they, what if they don't think I'm perfect anymore? Well, good, because I guarantee you, you're going to get more responses to that email than you get to all of your glittery, glittery, sparkly, look how great my life is email. I mean, I get Every time I send out my weekly email, I get responses. Thank you so much for sharing because I do share the dirt. Like there's that struggle. Jason, what was your deepest or your darkest moment? You know, I think there's probably quite a few of them as I look through. I mean, you know, one of them is probably I had a business partner and I thought this would go a lot farther and there were some issues that were legal issues and things that came in and it was our best friend it was our best friend of mine and that relationship sort of falling apart and not only that but i think the other part of it was really having to be accountable for it realizing that i choose that individual right i chose to engage i chose to do all that stuff so it really wasn't 50 percent accountable it was a hundred percent and essentially, it really was all my fault because if I would have done different things, I wouldn't have gotten myself in that position, mm-hmm. right? And then I had to realize at some point that I thought of myself as a Robin and not a Batman. 
and therefore I did a lot of the things that were going on. Right. So it wasn't the other person's fault, it was my own. And when you can do that, then you can move forward because you understand the problem, the challenges, and you accept responsibility for the whole mess. And that was helpful. Now, not in the moment and not like in the aftermath of it all was it helpful, but down the road, it definitely, it definitely was, right? That right. was helpful. But, you know, there's, and I just, you know, I think all the time, like, I think that there are always as an entrepreneur these days, just like you're thinking, oh, I figured this out. And then all of a sudden you realize that you go in and you take a look at something in your business and you're like, wow, there's a big hole there. And in order for me to fix it, it'll take six to 12 months of hard work to get things turned around realistically, right? And then you have to roll up your sleeves and you got to do that. And that's hard, right? It may not be the darkest day, but that's still pretty dark day because you realize how much you have to tweak and get things done. But and if you don't, how long, right. <laughs> what's it going to cost? Agreed, right? Yeah. For me, there is no choice at that point. You're like, okay, what do you have to do? You just have to keep working harder You've got to keep doing things and, you know, figuring out new ideas and concepts and trying them out, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff I'm trying this year that I haven't tried before, but it's requiring me to work a lot more, to think, to try a lot of things, to go outside of the box, to not listen to convention thinking and try things. And, you know, a lot of some things are working, a lot of things are not, right? But I'll also not know until I do them whether they are or not, but it doesn't help but it's not fun sitting on a Friday night when you're having to work, right? It's not fun on Saturday afternoon in the summer when people are outside playing and you're outside on a laptop inside working and doing that, right? So but there isn't a choice, right? And I think you've got to, like, if you don't want to do hard work and be determined in your life, I, I, I think we're, you're living in the wrong era of time, right? This is just not, this is not where you can work 40 hours a week or 50 and really be successful. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, I, they're, they're probably at some level you can, but you're in a probably not sustainable business over time. Right. I mean, it, unless you're in a very specific or detailed piece of work that you have some skill that very few people out there have that are absolutely essential for things Perhaps that then you're in one, but those are very few and far in between. Yeah. My last job before I started this business was, well, I was an interior architect for a number of years. I lost my job when the economy tanked. I was designing schools and people didn't want to pay tax money on schools anymore. So nope. I ended up being an administrative assistant at a large uh, car manufacturing plant here in my town. And Looking back now, like you've got me thinking about how you asked, are you happy? These people in this, in the office where I worked, there's probably 180. I know from my, like, I know deep within me, I don't even have to go that deep, that if I went in there and asked the 180 people, the majority would not be. They've got what they think is a stable job. They got benefits. They have the perk of discounted cars. But are they actually happy having to clock in and out and having people watch how many times they go to the restroom 
and how long their lunch is. Yeah. They might have a 40-hour week, but that doesn't make them happy. And I work my butt off. And, I mean, 80 hours a week, probably. I, I don't... I should track, but I don't. But I'm happy. I do have to say I'm happy. But I'm also a big change in that. My my darkest moment was the result of only sleeping two to three hours a night for a year and a half straight. And it got to the point where I was just ready to end it all. And I realized this is not why I'm doing this. I am. I mean, and plus, I was chasing all the wrong things. But this is. This is not yep. why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this to kill myself. So, Kim, you got to make a change. And it all turned around. That was two years ago. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing. It took a while, right? Oh, I mean, it's not like you woke up one day and said, oh, I'm going to make this change, right? It oh, took no. taking significant and massive action and being consistent and accountable, determined and perseverance. And it took a long time even to see beginning results, let alone the result that you really needed to see significant positive changes. And I oh, think right. that's the message for people is that you can get wherever you want to go. It's how bad you want it. And mm-hmm. if you don't want it that bad, then what happens is, is you're not at rock bottom yet and you will get there. And it's better to get there faster than later. So it's like an addict, right? If you don't let that person fall to the ground, they continue to skid on the bottom for the longest time, right? Right. right. You enable them. Right. You can't enable yourself. You've got to pull the plug, and then you can take massive action, right? The other thing that you talked about before I think is great is imperfect, you know, being imperfect because – that's how you connect with people because one of the things I found in organizations in this last couple of years as I've been doing is trying to take a look at, you know, how can you build the highest performing teams, right? And how can you be the innovation to the highest levels? And what are those people doing differently than other teams and organizations, right? And I'd even throw out the word organizations because – I don't know if there's an actual organization out there today that's in an existence of any size that would be able to really be ultimately like in the top 1% of performing teams. Because I even went into Amazon and I have people in there I work with and it's not, right? They have a lot of holes, right? I mean, they're doing a lot of great things and mm-hmm. they have a lot of great structures but there are a lot of room for improvement even there, right? They could be way, way ahead from where they are right now, right? But there are a lot of challenges. So as I was looking at this, you know, Google did a great study called Project Aristotle. And in 2012, they were looking at, you know, how can we basically build the highest performing team across Google and hire off it, promote off it, do everything on it, if we knew the secret sauce, right, we could we could engineer it like an IT, right? Well, the challenge is, is they hired researchers, went and looked, and what they found was nothing what they thought. It didn't matter how the individual performed, whether they were super high performing or not. It didn't matter their IQ. 
It didn't matter where they grew up. It didn't matter any background. It didn't matter anything they thought. It didn't matter. The number one determination of a high-performing team, and in the absence of this one factor, there were zero high-performing teams at Google. And I've sat in probably now 70 teams um, of varying sizes in uh, Forbes and Fortune's top workplaces. And the absence of this trait, I don't see any high-performing teams, is psychological safety. I can right? totally see that. Yeah. And the psychological safety, for people who don't know, what that is, is that's a combination of three facts factors, right? And in essence, it's vulnerability, sharing, and caring. And there's three traits. One, people share deep information about themselves, right? People know about each other personally and professionally at a very deep level, right? So like what you're hearing, there are no bounds, boundaries, right? Personal and professional, all one. Second, that they can suggest crazy ideas and failure and risk-taking are acceptable and are a part of the team. And the third thing is they can ask any clarifying questions that they want about whatever's going on to make sure they really understand and don't, you know, and they won't feel like an idiot if they ask a couple times and don't get it. And that's it. And you'd think, well, how can people not do that? Well, it's funny because I went to Google and in May and a lot of the people were looking at me like they had no idea what I was talking about, right? They may have understood psychological safety, but I have no idea how to institute it in the culture, right? Right. It's crazy. And it's funny because I created this game, Cards Against Mundanity, and you can think about it as just a question and answer game, right? Asking vulnerable information, like, tell me about the, one, the lesson that you've learned the most in the past year. Tell me about the biggest challenge you've had over the last five years, right? And it's about sharing experiences that you can relate to, and even more importantly, it's emotions that you have in common, right? So when you talk to four about the email, sending out like these hero emails or trying to be perfect, the problem is why people can't relate to those emails is they don't have that experience, right? That experience has been so fleeting or never that it's so rare. But if you talk about heartbreak, who hasn't had heartbreak? Who hasn't had loss, right? You connect with every single person out there on a deeper, real level that they felt and has caused them significant challenges, right? So when doing something like this, that's exactly what you do when you play games with people where you share deep fun, right? And they've shown that when you do games like that where you're sharing in groups of people, those companies are four times more profitable, right? So all the data out there supports doing psychological safety. The problem is, is that organizations don't do it because they don't know how, the leaders are scared, they don't think it will work, and they've been indoctrinated with this thought that like, if you can't operationalize it, then it won't work, but the reality is, is if you do something like that, you get people performing at their highest level because at the core of every person listening here, the number one thing you want is belonging. And the worst feeling and the thing that will hurt you the most and brings you the most pain is being disconnected. Yeah. Wow. So if you bring that in a team, think about this. Everyone listening, think about the time that you were on any team. I don't care where it was, whether you're a kid, whether you are now, 
could be personally, professionally, I don't care what environment that you feel like, wow, we got a lot accomplished. I love the people. We were on the same page. We could, you know, we could accomplish and do anything in the world. Imagine if you were a business and can replicate that across every single team, right? Or you yourself could be a team like that for the rest of your life, every organization you work, right? You can do that if you start engaging with other people and start taking the lead so they start sharing who they are and they're not hiding in the shadows. Because ultimately, when you care about people, what do you do better? You communicate, you collaborate, resolve conflicts, mm -hmm. you'll help them. You won't care about, you know, helping someone at two o'clock in the morning on a project, even if you have no involvement and they won't either, right? right? So you win. And when you look at people like the highest best sales teams, right? For people who think, oh, this is fooey, like you'll go in there and you'll see some common characteristics all the time. Everyone talks in the sales team. Like even introverts or people who think don't say anything, everyone says something and they talk in relatively equal increments. You will not see that on other sales teams, right? And, and you can, I'm using sales teams, but it can be any team, right? The other thing is they are very emotionally attuned. They will know when people are having bad days and they will ask them directly more than one person understand what's going on and support them. They will have conversations between each other to solve problems without the leader being in the room and helping each other. They will start doing things like listening to podcasts, going to conferences, and bring that information back to the team proactively to help people. Right? Those four things you will see on the highest performing teams, you will not see them on other teams. Or you'll see them in lesser and lesser as you go down from 100% to zero. Wow. Right? That's yeah. the difference. It's not... It's not the rock star salespeople that you think yep. because I took two people off a medium performing team and put them on the highest performing team at one of my friends who has a working for a major fortune 50 company. And it's, these are significant sales and two people and they were motivated and determined. But they were still on a 50% team. They were right in the middle of a pack of the performing teams. And I put them on the highest team for 90 days because I was like, let's see if this works, right? He's a skeptic. Without any additional training or anything else, they increased their sales by 20% more than they should have during that quarter. 20%. Wow. Zero wow. training, nothing. Because they're a part of the other team. Because it's the environment. So... But you, and you can do this yourself, right? If you're working in a company and you're like, well, my manager's not going to do this. The company's not doing this. Well, then you can sit down and start engaging with people on your team and you can proactively change it because emotions are contagious yep. and you can lead with positivity like, <laughs> like your yeah. podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And you can do it and you can sit down with people either one-on-one -on -one or in a group and start doing these things and you can lead them. And then what will happen is that will help your career make you more money and get you promoted faster and there'll be all these ramifications be positive by doing it because again we buy things from people we like we help people we like we promote people we like we mm -hmm. give people we like more money right all of these things and it's not always and most of the time it's not even the people that are performing the best right well i have to tell you my my team with only a couple exceptions, were all green when they joined my team. 
and by green, I mean they had absolutely no experience in what they were being hired to do. And it was just the personality and our ability to communicate. And every single one of them has not only mastered what they were hired to do, but then looked for other opportunities that they can contribute. And has since moved past that and gone on to do something else within my organization because they felt comfortable saying, can I do, can I give this a step? Yep. But they felt that's the key, right? Yeah, exactly. And you have to, you have to indoctrinate that in the environment by doing proactive things. It, Culture does not, culture is not like a DNA inside of you. It is something that is intentional. It is science. Yes, is there an art to it at some level? It's true, but there's enough data and you can operationalize this like any other operations that you can in any business period. It is a fact, it's proven, and the data is out there. The problem is, is people think about culture Because what's happened is that people who've made a billion dollars decided to talk about how they built their organization and they've worked backwards. Mm. They haven't used data. They haven't used science. They're making things up along the way, right? Right. They talk about purpose. We need a purpose-driven culture. Yeah, you do. But if you don't have psychological safety, if you don't have truth-telling, if you don't have vulnerability, if you don't have other things – Having a purpose doesn't matter because right. no one cares, right? If that were the answer, then all you'd need to do is say some purpose and put it on the front of your website and everyone would just buy from you and everyone would want to be hired and work for you. And that doesn't work, right? And there's a lot of misnomers that people do, right? It's like people talk about stock options and getting people to work there. Yeah. Could that be helpful? Yeah. But you know what? The another I love this example. This company called Ypro in India, and it's it's global. They are a company that does customer support and service for cell phones and I think other you know technical equipment. And they had a customer service issue a few years ago where they were losing fifty to seventy percent of their reps, and they were hemorrhaging them and it was costing them a lot of money. And it was just insane that they had to keep hiring at that rate to replace the people that were there. And obviously that causes other problems on top of that. Well, they started to throw way more money at them, benefits, food, like all of these crazy benefits like you were living at Google, right? And they none of it worked. And so the thing that worked was during the training, they tried this because someone had, I don't know, someone had told them, and I, I, I couldn't find the research exactly how, but they tried it in some control groups they had an hour additional training where people ask each other questions like if you were going to Desert Island, like what three things would you take? Like what's the most memorable experience from your childhood? And they had people ask each other in groups and individually these questions just for an hour and then gave everyone a sweatshirt with their name on it and the name of the company on it. And the retention rate of the reps went up 250%. Just by asking them questions like that. Yeah, and no more money. Wow. So they didn't pay them any more money than they had been paying them before, right? So just think of the ramifications of that for an organization, right? So right. you've got to be thinking that it the belonging is so strong and being included and having people caring about you and being able to show who you are 
and have failure be a part of the culture because you cannot innovate if you don't try new things, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you think if that's if you can instill that, the the ceiling is incredible. And the organizations that do that do all these great things, and everyone's like, I can't, like, I can't understand how they're doing it. And it's it's simple. It's not hard. Right. But no one wants to make it a priority and be intentional because they just think that it's something haphazard. And we need to get over that because it's a poor methodology and it's costing businesses across the board. And it's your secret weapon is the people, right? Your secret weapon in your business is all the people you have. Right. And the more that you can maximize their performance, their leadership, their engagement, their collaboration, them working together – positively impacts your business and you don't you're not paying them any more money for that you can't pay them more money but then they're even taking it to the next level right yeah so you have a choice yep so i'm growing my team right now and um one of the questions on the application is tell me a little bit about yourself but before i even put that part in i'm like Actually, maybe I say that and then I say, just so you know who I am, and I and I give a little bit and I say, and I burn dinner every night. You know, I'm a crazy mom of five. I burn dinner every night. Positive productivity is not about perfection. Like I make it funny because yeah. I, I want I want people to be real in their response, because if I paint the perfect picture, I'm not going to get a true picture of who these people are, actually are. And it's really important to me. Very true. That I know who they are when they fill out the application. You got to lead with vulnerability. The problem with vulnerability is that everyone wants everyone else to do it, but no one wants to be the first one. Yep. So you have to lead with it to open up other people. And the key with vulnerability too, what people don't understand, and this is a real business thing, is you can build trust super fast if you lead with vulnerability, because vulnerability is how you build trust. And the problem is, is we, we in our own plot, in our own mind, think to ourselves, oh, that takes a long time, right? Well, that actually doesn't. One of the studies that I found when I was doing my TED Talk last year and that I was looking into was a study by, in 1997, uh, Professor Arthur Aaron was looking on how to two things. One, to make best friends by essentially snapping your fingers. And he was also looking at how can you make people fall in love super fast, right? So he had a couple different things he was looking at. And what he one of the experiments he did was he had 54 grad students ask each other 45 questions over 36 minutes, or 36 questions over 45 minutes. And these questions started off being not that vulnerable to question number nine was, you know, tell me three things that you like about me. Right. And these are complete strangers. Right. So the only information you have is the first eight questions to answer number nine, other than maybe something that you've gleaned from the answers. Right. And these people are only, you know, they only have like 40 seconds to answer each question, too. So it's not like you're having a lot of time. Well, at the end of 45 minutes, 30 percent of the people in the first group And it's been consistent over decades of research and doing this in any environment, any age group, any locality. 30% of the people said the relationship they just created with a complete stranger was the closest relationship in their life. I can totally see that. Think about 45. 
It takes 45 minutes to make a best friend mm -hmm. because that is what that person is saying. That They're saying, I have a closer relationship with that person than the people I love in my life. They know me more, right? So think about how you could do that in a work environment. It's, oh, yeah. it's possible, right? It's all possible if people don't think about it because we also realize that we don't ask each other meaningful questions in a day-to-day -day existence. So if you start doing that, you can open people up. And the research is out there to support it. It's just the problem is it's buried. People are not proliferating it, right? It's not part of the mainstream HR training and structure and skills development. It's not part of what people use in sales, not part of what goes on at business school. And so you're not hearing it, but the research is out there and the people are performing it. And the people who are seeing it and doing it are the people that are exploding in their jobs and careers and organizations because that's the secret sauce. Mm -hmm. It's not more sales training. That's not going to help. Is it going to help some people? Sure. If you don't know how to do any of it, it's not going to help. Will it get you a couple more percent, five, ten? Yeah. It's not going to get you 20% gain off in your entire sales team, though. It's Absolutely. only going to help people. Yeah. This one, right? So you've got a choice as an individual, too. If you do this and start understanding, you can start incorporating it into your day-to-day -day activities with people, and you will see a massive difference in how people interact with you, how people help you, people's willingness, right? You can even do that with your boss. People complain about having a bad boss. I'm like, no. That's because you're also a bad employee. Right. You own it. You can figure out how to make it a whole different way by asking questions, engaging more, thinking like a CEO because you don't realize all their problems. You're just thinking through your lens. I mean, so there's a lot we can do as individuals and as leaders, managers to turn a lot of these things around and you can do it super fast. I had an interview with a prospective team member last week, and I asked her, what would you most like to do in the next 90 days? And I could totally hear that she gave me the answer that she thought I wanted to hear. And I said to her, I just got to be honest, you sound really bored. So let's try this again. What do you love to do and what do you want to do? She gave me a completely different answer, and she sounded super excited. I was like, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. I said, and to be totally honest, I don't have a need for that right now, but I have clients to do. And we just need to get over that. I mean, sometimes that, well, it's not sometimes it actually goes right back to what you were talking about. That blind spot is often like, well, it's not often. It, it is self-imposed. And I didn't know, Jason, until just the, in the past six months when I gave myself personal safety. And I'm going to say that again, I gave myself personal safety to look at what yes. was not going right. I didn't know what my own p pillars were for my business because I was using fluff words in my own business. Yep. I was like, what the heck is this that I'm trying to sell other people? Because it sure as heck doesn't mean anything to me. I was trying to sell people peace, passion and prosperity. And I just sat back one day and I was like, I mean, I, I won't use the real words that I was thinking, but like WTF? Like, yeah, really? How, how the no. heck am I going to sell it to others when I, <laughs> I'm not even selling it to myself? And then yeah. I realized, no, that's, that's not it. Let's take a look at 
your own journey through the past six years and what's I mean they say authors write the book that they most needed or most need I mean I I'm now selling what I most needed and most need self-care systems and support and let me tell you people self-care is the one I'm struggling with right now I told my husband last night I was like I need to sign up for the gym and it's not because people are telling me you need to lose weight and you need to exercise it's because I know I do and I need to stop going to McDonald's because I know I do I mean I want to live in my four-year-old and I have been I don't know where she's getting it from I think it's daycare but she's asking all these questions about death yes it's morbid so I'm trying to get her to think bigger I'm like, I want to live until I'm 200 years old and going to McDonald's isn't going to do that. But if I'm going to be going on my three pillars in my own business, I need to be providing it to myself and it's time to get real. These pants weren't snug last year. It's time to do something about it, Kim. Yeah. And the thing about that, something like that, I always say, you know, to help is pick a goal, right? Because one thing I did last November was I needed a new personal goal and something that was super hard. And I sat down and I gave myself 15 minutes to figure it out. And why 15 minutes? I was like, because if I don't figure it out now, all I'll do is I'll push it out and it's not good. And so I came up with like the hardest thing that I could think of for me to do at that point was to run a marathon. And I had never been a runner. Like, I'd never run over five miles, like, ever, right? I mean, I do work out consistently, but I still don't do that, and it's a whole different thing. So I decided to get a running coach, and I found the best running group. And then I got rid of my running coach because my running group was so great. But the running group's accountability. And the marathon is, too. And so I signed up. I'm running the Chicago Marathon in October, I'm running the Philadelphia Marathon right before Thanksgiving, and wow. I've signed up for the Phoenix Marathon in February. So now I have no choice, right? So now, like tonight, I live in Dallas, and it will be 100 degrees, and I'm in a, outside, and I'll be running track in 100 degrees for an hour, running around as fast as I can. So it's probably going to be about six or seven miles total with warm-up, cool-down, and running, right? And do you think that's fun? No. Do you think that's painful? Heck yeah. Do you think I'm not tired? I mean, you know, but it's an, e it's an easier way to hold yourself to having a goal when you have accountability of other people and then you tell people you have no choice, right? So right. for you, that's probably the easiest way. Otherwise, it's going to be hard. Because I find like going and working out, for some people that works, but for most people, they need some more accountability in order oh, yeah. to make it happen. Because then you may have to work, wake up at 3.30 or 4 a.m., but you'll mm -hmm. get there if there's accountability. But you will not if you don't, right? Cause if you weekend, don't, yeah. i got to get up every Saturday at 4.30 in the morning now to go running because it's so hot. Right. And i got to meet my running group. Now, how many people do you think are waking up at 4.30 in the morning to go running? And go I know and I'm not. Yourself, right? <laughs> I know right? I'm not. Definitely not. And so – but I have to because I don't have a choice, right? But right. before, I never did it because I had an out. I can make up 5,000 excuses. So right. that's like another, I found way that if you can't, if you find yourself not being able to do something, you have to find some accountability measures in order to make it all come together. I, I'm a part of a mastermind and they're amazing, but I also use a great app called Habit Share. 
And you can share the habits that you are really trying to get into your life with your friends. And it, and it, you check in every day or multiple times a day, you know, depending yeah. on what your habits are. The only, um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which listeners, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP442. The only thing that I want to throw out there before you go and, and start putting your goal habits in is don't put in 10 new habits. Like start with one at a time, please. Or maybe two. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I found myself, I put in 15 new habits when I first signed up for it. And it just overwhelmingly frustrating. And then I just wanted to scrap them all and say, the heck with this. Yeah, I think you can only implement a couple things, right? So that's why I picked something that was super, what my personal life that I had to do, but it was only one thing. I I didn't pick learning a foreign language you know, doing a marathon and then something else, right? right because right. I would have never been able to do it because I knew the requirements of time that this was going to take as I progressed and I went along, right? And I started to run half marathons and then I was like, okay, well now, like this week I have to run 45 miles, which is going to take me somewhere between, you know, seven hours, about seven hours to do. But that's not commuting time for some of the things I need to do as well to meet people, right? right. And that's not the decompression time after I'm going to need a little bit all the time. So now we're probably up to, you know, 11 or 12 hours during the week, right. That I have to now find that are not currently available to me now. Right. So I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, you can pick one or two and that's it and get to the point where you have those cold before you pick anything else and you got to prioritize. And you may have 15 things you want to do, but you'll do nothing well if that's the case. Last year, I decided that I wanted to give up caffeine. I'm just going to use this as an example as to why you pick one. Now, I was drinking multiple cups of coffee and multiple sodas a day. I'm sure listeners, you can start to see why I gained weight besides all my kids. This is an example of why you should pick one. If you drink as much soda and coffee as I did, giving up both at the same time is bad news. You're going to have headaches. You're going to be nauseous. Probably like I'm generalizing here, but that's what happened to me. I will never like to anybody who wants to give up caffeine one at a time. And it's the same with any habits. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I think that's, and the thing about it is too, is the other part of it's really important is we as human beings need evidence so we can feel like it's working. Mm -hmm. So there's a confidence, competence loop, right? So you won't, feel confident unless you're competent. And the problem is if you pick too many is you won't feel like you're competent and then you'll lose confidence and then you'll stop doing it completely. So you've got to pick area, you got to pick an area or two maximum that you want to work on. So then you have evidence to show you because then it'll help you persevere when things are difficult because you're like, well, I've done this before, right? I have the evidence and I know that I can, but if you don't feel like that, it can be really daunting and then it can put you in a really bad loop. I have to give you huge props for what you're doing and just, just the running alone, like not even everything else you're doing in your coaching because I mean, I don't, I hope that you all can't hear it, but I had to turn on the air conditioning unit in my office while we were recording because it got up to whole 84 (laughs) but running in over a hundred wow 
It's, it's, you know, the thing about it is it's hard, but here's the problem. Here's the thing. The fear of not reaching the goal is more. So when I'm waking up and running down here in the morning, like when I'm waking up and going and running at 6 a.m. in the morning, it's, it's, it's somewhere between 78 to 82 right. outside. And that's not with sun, but then the sun comes out after 7, so I have to run earlier. But yeah. on the weekends, I've got longer miles, and I have to run in the sun, and it's, like, unbearable. Yeah, but, but any great I, achievement is hard. If it was easy, then yeah. everybody would be doing it. I know that's cliche, but it's the truth. It's the truth. So yeah. you have to find things in order to push yourself through. But now I know that I can do it because I've done it long enough. Now, as I get more and more miles and I'm doing more and more things, I don't know, right? And when I run my first marathon, well, obviously I won't know I can do it even if I ran 26 miles because I've never actually run and completed a marathon in a race, right? So it's always going to be daunting, but I have the evidence that I ran a half marathon. I've run three of them, done it, so I know that I can finish a race, right? Obviously, it's half as long, but I know that I can, right? And I have to prove it to myself by doing it, but you have to do the hard work and prepare. So then when you run the race, you are all set. It's not like if I didn't train and I, I, I can't run a marathon, right? So you have to do the work to get the result. And if you just do it- Just like entrepreneurship. Yeah, just like entrepreneurship. And I think mm-hmm. it goes back to that point too, right? And so, I mean, and anyone on this call can do any of these things, right? That's the great thing. It's mm-hmm. not, it, it, it doesn't take some crazy person. Now, yeah, are there times that are even more difficult? Yeah, but I know people I've spoken to now that it's taken them years that they are now running like sub three marathons and they did not start out that way. They were running, I talked to one person who's running five hour marathons. It's now down to sub three hour marathons, right? So it doesn't matter where you start. You don't have to do high school track or have run before, right? That's all a story, but you got to want to put on the work and get it done. And I, I think that's uh, such an important part of the journey that we're all on. And I think this relates to our personal life. That's why I bring up the running thing, but also relates to our relationships, you know, because I do that too. A lot of my clients will bring personal issues, right? With husbands, wives mainly, but then I'll have issues with children. And a lot of it is just, they haven't been putting in the work for so long that now the relationship is in a bad place. Yep. Right. It's not because they are both bad people or there is some like something going on that can't be fixed. Most of the time it can be as long as you have two willing individuals that want to see their own blind spots and want to come to the table. The problem is most people don't because they don't want to deal with their own demons. And that means they can't deal with someone else and figure out the problem. Right. It's really no different. The business part of it, and the personal, when you really get down to it, it's a very similar in nature, right? That's why you see a lot of people who co-found companies and are co-leaders can't get along. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're basically in a marriage. Yep. And they need intervention, and that becomes a problem because they can't communicate, collaborate, and doing it just as they would. But then if you go look in their personal lives, it's the same way. Yep. I got to be totally honest. Like, mm, my husband probably will never be in my business any more than chief emotional support because we know how to communicate in our marriage and regarding children most of the time. 
but we need that space, right? Like, yep. I don't want to be his boss in the business. So while his name is on the business, I mean, Sutton, that's most. And I don't want to, I don't want to part in his business either because we need to give ourselves that space. That's what, I mean, it, I have that awesome communication with him in the personal and I have the awesome communication with my team in the professional and let's just keep it like that and keep it happy. Yeah. And then also he can relate to all the things that are going on in your business without you having to say a lot because he's doing the same thing. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Right. So he gets it. So that's the other huge piece about the, the challenge. A lot of people have when it comes to, their business life is they go home and they expect the other person to be able to relate to that, but they can't because they're not doing exactly what the other person is doing and meaning exactly if they're both entrepreneurs, you get it. But if one person is and one person isn't, you can't get the support from the other person because they really don't understand. And you shouldn't be looking for that person for that. You should be looking for an entrepreneur group, right? Or if you're a CEO of a company, you should be looking for other CEOs. You shouldn't be going mastermind. Home, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you part whatever. of a mastermind, Jason? You know, I was a part of one and then I actually joined two and I found that the challenge I had was since people were not in the same place as I was, it just wasn't as helpful. Yeah. And it probably it may have not been that I found the right one. But I find it can be, it, it really depends on the person, where they're at. There's a lot of dependencies on making it work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I really think that probably if someone really wants a mastermind, is to try one and see if it will work for them by going once or twice right. and really think about it. And the other thing that I've seen some people do, not many people do this, is create their own. I actually did that and it's a fantastic group, but I just waited until I had six people who were all at the same level and I just knew we would click, but I didn't rush into it. And it's, I just say mine's not paid. And I was just inspired by hearing about other groups. I mean, there's huge podcasters out there and Pat Flynn and, Ray Edwards and a whole bunch of others who started theirs back in like 2011 and they were all at the same place back then. And now they're all, you know, growing and just huge together, but they knew yeah. that there was that synergy, but don't just start it. It's like, you don't marry somebody in Vegas who just happened to be sitting at, you know, in the next slot over and thought they were cute. Right. It's the same as your mastermind. You you have to get to know these people before you decide yeah. that you're going to commit to whatever commitment you commit to. And, and people charge a lot of money. I get, and I find that right now their masterminds are sort of the new like sexy thing that people are trying to push because they can charge a lot of money for it. Oh, absolutely. Just, right. I find people I have clients in like entrepreneurs organization and Vistage and some other ones and. You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't really have people coming back to me that are getting value out of it, really, yep. for the amount of money that they're paying. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But I think the way you're going about it ultimately is the way that it was meant to be put together. And the problem, the problem is, like, let's say you're trying to sell this. 
you can't wait around for six people who are exactly at the same place because you'll never have a business. I mean, it, it's not a money-making thing, and it's mm-hmm. too much time and effort. No, right? I don't have a mastermind business model for exactly that reason. Right, so you'd have to do that in order to find that. Now, you know, you could, but you would have to, you would already have to have those people in your pipeline and then put it together. You couldn't just say, I'm going to do this and have, and put out something and try to do you know, webinar and whatever, and then, you know, ask them questions. You, there's no way you're, you're going to find people, that many people who have the exact same place and very similar businesses in doing that and putting it together. I yeah. mean, it's really hard. And I also found that in previous groups that I've been in, the people who, the other people who had joined were all about what they were going to get out of it instead of what they were gonna, going to contribute. But our group is yes. called the Unretireables, and we meet every Tuesday evening. And it's all about, I mean, I'm not going to say that I've been to every single one. There were a couple ones I couldn't, a, a couple that I couldn't attend. But for the most part, we've all been there every week. And we've, we're six months old. And we're all there to support everybody else. And that's, that's what a true mastermind is about. It's not about me. It's about we, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. And what you'll find is like complaints will happen that a couple members will monopolize the time. You know, you'll find someone who has a, you know, much larger business than other people and they end up mentoring the other people and they're not getting anything out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of stories that you hear. So I think if I were to do one and advise people out there, you need to find people that are in a similar place than you are and are doing it. And, you know, the more specificity you can get, right, CEOs in something or someone who's a manager of sales, having other people that are managing sales that are not managing B2C and B2B, you'd want to have people who are doing B2B, right? You'd want to find more similarities in there because then you can leverage best practices and help each other. Otherwise, it's they're trying to give you advice when they don't necessarily know your landscape very well. And that's what I found. And so it was not as helpful because then I didn't really, I still have to look for all these answers and figure them out because all they could do was tell me so much information. Um, and I had to fill in the blanks. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Jason, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to thank you for all the insights and just, I mean, you've given me plenty of ahas and I know you've given them to the listeners as well. Where can listeners find you online, connect and get in touch with you? Sure. You can go to my website and it's Jason and the last name is spelled T-R-E-U. It's pronounced Troy, but it's spelled T-R-E-U. So Jason, T-R-E-U.com. And you can look up I have a book, Social Wealth, that's how to build great relationships with an Amazon that sold 50,000 copies and done really well. Um, I have my game, CardsAgainstMundanity.com, and you can download it for free. It has instructions, and you can use it in your organization, either one-on-one with people in a team. You can use it externally with prospects or anyone that you want to use, and then you can take a look at coaching services, speaking, workshops, and other things on the website on anything leadership, management, performance, helping you figure out your career blueprint. So, Awesome. The links to Jason's book, Cards Against 
mundanity. I cannot get that word mundanity. right. Mundanity. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> and and all the other links that we've talked about will be in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp442. Jason, thank you so much again. Do you have a parting piece of advice or golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? I'd say figure out the rest of the year one thing personally and professionally you want to accomplish and then go for it, right? And figure out three steps that you can take and make yourself accountable and write yourself a note every month and saying, you know, how bad do I want it and what am I doing? Because I think that's the only way to get somewhere new is to pick some things and stick with it. But don't pick multiple things because you won't do it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Music.